Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table, because this is the podcast where we interview some really cool people who are doing interesting things in the world as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders. Some people work inside companies and just have that entrepreneurial spirit. And then there's some people like today's guest who do a little bit of all of it. I would say today's guest is sort of a renaissance man. He's somebody who who has a lot of talents and has done a lot of things in his life. And I had the honor of meeting him, I don't know, about four months ago. Uh, I went to a conference with a friend in Las Vegas, and we all went out to dinner, and we went and saw a show in Vegas. And I was just really taken back with this guy. And I said, you, you, I mean, the whole time in dinner, I just kept smiling, and I kept thinking, we have to bring him on to cool things entrepreneurs do. And so today's guest, I think, is going to wow you just with some the way he looks at the world and the, the things he's accomplished and how he does things. And hopefully, will inspire you maybe to shift your own thinking just a little bit. So today's guest is Douglas Spotted Eagle. And I couldn't even begin to explain what he does because he's got a production company, he's a performer, he does consulting and work with other companies. I don't know. I'm going to let Douglas explain sort of how he fits all his pieces into one world. Hey, Douglas Spotted Eagle, welcome <laughs> to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I, I, how do I say anything after that amazing introduction? <laughs> <laughs> so I know we're short on time, so I'll try to give the, the, the quickest rundown on the, on the cool stuff that, that I do. So uh, my background comes from the music industry, and I've, uh, I've, I've been a, a little successful in that with a couple of Grammy Awards and some Emmy Awards for television pieces that I've scored. And... Uh, a part of a few Academy Award nominated bits. Wow. Um, the music industry led me to the film industry, and the film industry has, has also been uh, relatively you know, successful for me. I should say the production industry is the most of film. And uh, those things led me into um, I took my, I also have a hobby of aviation. So this is going to sound a little scattered. If I <laughs> forgive me, if I jump around a little bit, but I promise it'll all tie together. So, so a lot I of a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs might be accused of being a little ADHD. So I think I think it's all right. <laughs> Keep going, Douglas. Keep going. <laughs> all right. So I have a hobby in aviation, and my hobby in aviation stems from two different things. First of all, I love to fly, but I also love to jump out of things that fly. And so I have, you know, have a background in skydiving, and and my love for production and audio and television production and, and so forth went from the ground to the air and I began uh, be, I began doing video work as a skydiver and my work is found yeah, you can find me in all kinds of different things like Microsoft commercials or uh, commercials for various cell phones and Lenovo computers and Budweiser beer and things that I produced as I jump out of the plane and film things in the sky and so this combination career of of aviation passion as a hobby that turned into sort of a, a side career coupled with my passion for music and my passion for uh, video production, film production kind of a thing. Um, all of that came together back in about 2011. And um, in 2011, I saw this thing, these things called drones, and or at the time were called drones, and, and I recognized that, wow, you know, here's a way that I can film things on the ground and in the sky at the same time. I don't have to wear really heavy stuff on my head and jump out <laughs> of the airplane. And it's a whole lot warmer 
And so there's that side of it that, that got me excited. And, and then the other component, I guess, of where all this starts to tie together is in the, in the days of, of heavy music, when I was uh, recording for, for television, recording for film and, and scoring my own albums, um, I, I was one of the pioneers of what was at the time was called digital audio workstations or, or DAWs. Today, it's just the standard of recording. But I was contacted by a company called Data Design, and they asked me to start training people to, to use the products the way I use them. And so this also gave me a little bit of a, a subcurrent of sharing knowledge. And you can call it training or you can call it instruction or you can just call it a you know, subcurrent of sharing knowledge where I was t- teaching people some of the things that I had learned basically showing people how not to do something so they could maybe be a little more successful. And I'll tell you what, Tom, I am the world's authority on how not to do something in order to achieve success. Because I'm very, I'm very proud of my failures. My pile of failures next to my piles of successes is massive. It's like looking at a, at a mountain next to a, a pile of salt. You know, I, I, I kind of enjoy failure. From the nobody really that's that, that's not an accurate statement. I guess nobody enjoys failure, but I, I found that failure is my pathway to doing things. And so, in the process of of helping people learn what not to do in order to be successful, that carried its way from the music industry into the film industry. And I started producing DVDs for companies like Adobe and and Panasonic and Canon and Sony about how to use their software and some of their hardware products. And that carried over into the skydiving world teaching people how to skydive. And then that carried over into, oh my gosh, we're going to combine my love for aviation, my love for cinema and production, and my love for sharing knowledge. And I began training people in, in drones. And, and so uh, that has led me to a consultancy with, I'm with a, a drone company now that builds systems for commercial purposes and inspection, inspections of towers and uh, law enforcement use them for accident scene recreation and forensic capture. Uh, construction companies use them for intelligent job sites. So that's what I'm doing at this particular moment in time. Well, and that's that's you know fascinating. We actually met at a conference of of people in the drone industry, and what amazed me was how everybody in that industry seemed to know who you were. So clearly, you were sort of an early adopter in the world of drones, and became somebody who became somewhat of an expert on that. And so, how does one go about like noticing what the new new thing is, or was that sort of an accident that that you became such an expert in the world of drones? Um, I think that it, it, it tends to be an accident of awareness. You know, if you're an entrepreneur and you have that passion for whatever it is you're doing, you're always researching and looking at how you can do things better. And that frequently means that you stumble across the, the next big thing. And, or you just got this cogency where you connect dots that maybe isn't common. Um, but that's, that's really what happened was I started connecting dots and realizing, Hey, wait a second, you know, this is where the world is going. And so, like I say, in 2011, we, we started training people on how to use these things and holy cow, has it blown up. So a lot of what you talked about in your introduction of all the things that you've sort of do and have done all were sort of things that you sort of, you know, kind of pioneered on your own. Did you start out with like a more of a corporate job or have you always been somebody who sort of was plowing your own way through the field? I've always been finding my own way through the field. Um, when I when I was in high school, I was in a rock and roll band that, that enjoyed a, a little bit of success. We were out touring with bands like Quiet Riot and ZZ Top and that kind of a thing. So we were sort of a, I wouldn't even call us a B-level touring band. We were maybe a C-level <laughs> touring band kind of thing. Anyway, um, and, and I really loved that so much, the, the fact that I was my own boss 
And in, in the band, I was the primary songwriter and, and owned most of the material. And so when I transited from being a, a, a front man for a band, I transited and transitioned into being just the, the guy. And so, for example, if you go look at my old albums, it's, they're, they're all just Douglas Spotted Eagle, and, and I write and record most of those pieces. So I, I, I never aimed at doing any of what I did. I would say that, that, that writing these songs, writing these pieces, uh, somehow wove their way into film. And, you know, once they wove their way into film, I, I, I have to step back and give a little bit of credit where credit is due. Um, I met a man named Brian King, and Brian is a prolific composer and scorist, and he's done, I think, I think he's got somewhere around 50 Emmy Awards, something like that. It's just, it's a ridiculous number. And Brian called me to do a film with uh, a pair of brothers named Rick and Ken Burns. And I think many of your listeners will certainly know who the Burns brothers are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they hold so many PBS awards. It's ridiculous. And so, you know, working with the Burns brothers, that, that caused me to start again, you know, connecting those dots going, wow, you know, these guys are doing this kind of thing. And, and what we're doing on the digital audio front is kind of like what they're trying to start to do on the digital video front. I, I can do this. I mean, if I can play with Legos with audio, I can play with Legos with video. And, uh, you know, I refer to clips of audio on a timeline as Legos or clips of video on a timeline as being Legos because they're little blocks of things that you put together. And, and they build a story. Well, that's, that, I guess, is kind of the best description I can give of how my life has gone uh, through, Tom, is to say that, man, I discover this Lego over here and I discover that Lego over there. And holy cow, they connect. And I'm pretty good at this one. And I think I can be good at that one. And mm-hmm. the next thing you know, the story's changed. So I meet a lot of people who are from sort of the younger generation. You know, we, we name them lots of different things, whether it's millennial or, or generation Y or, or, or whatever, but the, these 20 somethings and a lot of them mm-hmm. kind of have been pre exposed to this idea that you can sort of stitch your career and your life together like a tapestry. But those of us who are a little more seasoned, and I think you and I are, are close to the same age. I might be a little older than you are, but you know, I don't know that we had that as an example in society, if you go back to the you know seventies, eighties, and nineties, so I have a question: How was it that you were able to sort of be ahead of the curve and just decided to go do this? I mean, there's obviously examples of that, and it comes a lot of it with artists because there weren't a lot of other options for people who were you know music artists or painters or whatever. However, what was it that you think you know kind of put you ahead of the curve and being able to stitch a life together this way? Stephen Covey. Um, I, I interviewed, I interviewed his son. I interviewed his son on this show. Oh, Sean? Uh, no. Uh, oh, you're going to get me one of the other ones. There's like seven of them. But. Oh, I'm, yes. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I actually, uh, was the editor and, and, uh, worked with Sean indirectly on seven habits of highly successful teens oh, 20 years ago. Very nice. So it's just, so the answer, the why is this even coming? I mean, that's, that's a really strange answer. Um, I come from Utah and, uh, you know, to be transparent, I have a, my family has a, an extremely deep LDS background, Mormon background. And, you know, in the Mormon church, you have, you do it this way and you do it this way and you do it this way. And it's, it's that structured environment that I think you're somewhat alluding to. And so, you know, you, you grow up, you turn 18, you go on a mission, you come home, you marry a girl, you go to college, you suffer paying off your student loans for a few years, and then you find a great job in a corporation and live happily ever after. And... <clears throat> because I was a musician going through a lot of that, I missed some of those milestones. And the, the challenge of missing those milestones was that, uh, my, you know, my, I was having a lot of fun, but my father, who was that corporate guy, 
uh, kept saying, you know, you're going to end up digging ditches if you don't do something with your life. You're going to end up digging ditches. And and uh, and then I met Stephen Covey. Um, at the time, I was sort of developing some of my sales chops. And from the age of 18 to the age of 22, I was teaching for a company called Franklin Quest, and I was teaching people how to sell, mm-hmm. uh, how to be salespeople. And then I met Stephen Covey, whose company actually acquired uh, Dale Carnegie in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. They formed a company called Franklin Covey. Yep. And I met Stephen, and you know he's a very strict. He was a very strict LDS guy. And somewhere in the course of a conversation, um, he was working on a new book called The Nature of Leadership. And he called me into his office to have a conversation with me and sort of interview me because I had said, "Hey, can I be part of this book?" And I mean, you, look, you know, you're 23 years old. You've had a couple of, of B-level hit songs on the radio. You're trained for Dale Carnegie. It couldn't be more opposite. You couldn't have greater opposition in your world than that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're training corporate staid people how to sell stuff <laughs> that have short hair and they wear ties. And I'm this long haired dude that's just full of passion and bouncy enthusiasm and ADHD is just a really great way to describe me. So I'm sitting there talking to Stephen and he says, what do you want to do with your life? And I have one answer, one word answer, everything. I want to do everything. Hmm. I want to taste. I want to touch. I want to feel. I want to smell. I want to hurt. I want to experience it all. And Stephen, knowing my father, says, okay, you know, how does your dad feel about that? <laughs> well, he hates it. You know? says, well, he says, like, I can't give you real advice other than to say, follow your heart. And in that moment, having someone of his import, of his stature at you know, the age of 23 saying, you know, hey, brother, go do this thing this way. I realized that I don't have to live within rules. I don't have to have rules. And I mean, of course, you have your ethical and your moral boundaries, but I, that was it. That was all I had was that. And so as long as I, I and I made that decision very early in my life that as long as I was doing something that was true to my integrity and true to my passion, uh, I could have a great life. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. And, and, you know, the interesting thing, Tom, is that having that, uh, that ethos, I guess, if you, if you want to call it that, it's what has introduced me to people that are similar minded. And so when somebody asked me, well, why have you, you know, how have you been successful doing this or doing all of these different things? And, you know, some of these things are diametrically opposed to the other. How have you been successful remolding and recharacterizing yourself? And the, the best answer is because of that ethos and that passion, I've been surrounded with people that share that ethos and that passion. So, you know, I've met people like you, and I, I think you and I are very similar in, in that regard. And, mm-hmm. and I've met people like our, our mutual friend who's, uh, you know, thinks that, that Penn and Teller walk on the water. Right? <laughs> um, you know, I'm surrounded by those kinds of people. And when you're surrounded with that level of excellence, it makes it so easy to, to, to enjoy this life and to develop new new directions and develop new skills. And well, you always have people there to help you and people to motivate you. Uh, well, this is why I wanted to have you on the show, Douglas, because your answer to Stephen Covey's question of what do you want in life, to answer all of it. I don't know at 23 years old if I could have articulated it in two words, three words, all of it. But, and I think yeah. so many of us, myself included, are guilty of wanting all of it, but either being scared to say it out loud, not knowing how to articulate it, uh, wanting to be a pleaser and putting their ladder against the corporate wall that mom or dad is expecting them to do. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of, I want to I have all of it. And yet, 
they find themselves in their 40s or their 50s, as I did, and realize that their ladder was against the wrong wall. And so I think that, you know, what what you discovered young is what so many people who listen to this show who want to break out and, and follow their hearts I think that you've really summed that up. And by the way, my brain is a little slow as, I, as I'm getting older in years. And it was David Covey who was on the show. He uh, back, oh, okay. back uh, I think, about show, let's call it 257. So uh, maybe six months, eight months ago, something like that. He was on the show. Uh, he had just released a new book that was called uh, Trap Tales. Uh, I think it's what it's called. And so he was on the show. But he was, he was one of Stephen Covey's sons. And I know there was a, was a whole army of them. There is, there is. Well, tell you what, Tom, let me interview you for a second. Uh-oh. So when you were young, let's, <laughs> sure. let's say you, when you were in junior high, high school, outside of perhaps your parents, who's the most influential person you, you ever engaged with? Uh, probably my older brothers, although I wouldn't admit that to them probably openly. Fortunately, they don't listen. <laughs> Fortunately, they don't listen to this podcast, but I had three older brothers who were, who were 10, 12 and 14 years old when I was born. So by the time I was, you know, in middle school, 13 years old, my brothers were all 20 to almost 30 years old. So I had, I had sort of them and they were, they, they were, I looked up to them quite a bit. Okay. So for me, uh, my older brother is also significantly older than me, and he wasn't really someone I, I – he's a great person. I just didn't want to emulate him, or he, he wasn't influential. For me, I met this guy named John Goddard, and I don't know if you know who he is or not. He's still alive today. I've heard the name. But John think. Goddard – yeah, he's, he's fascinating. John Goddard um, made a career out of being part of a National Geographic team, and what he'd do is in the – basically in the fall and winter months, he'd go do things like, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro or he'd, he'd uh, go rafting, you know, whitewater rafting down the Nile or, or down the, the um, Yangtze River or he'd, he'd scuba diving on, on these major wrecks and whatnot. And then in the spring months, he would go around to schools and he would show them films of these adventures that he'd just undertaken. Hmm. And I'm not going to tell you he's a nice guy. He was actually quite a, he's, he's kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he was back then, and he is kind of today. But what what was cool about what he did for me is is when I was in ninth grade, he came into Mr. Alcorn's English class after he'd shown us this great video of, of him uh, deep diving in a dry suit on a wreck, and he he talked to us about setting life goals, and he said, you know, so what I want y'all to do, and he handed out these pieces of paper that were from National Geographic, and they looked like you know an explorer's parchment map, whatever. I want you to write down 10 things that you're going to do by the time you're 30 years old. Come on, you're ninth grade. You're 13 <laughs> years old. What do you know? I still have that list. And I don't know if it was Mr. Goddard. I don't know if it was just the way that life turned out. But I have accomplished every single thing on my list except for two things. And so maybe making that list is what drove me down this path. I, but, you know, I... I did not get the opportunity to be an NFL quarterback. <laughs> and, and I have not landed on the moon. However, however, that one's not necessarily uh, out. That one's not out. The NFL quarterback thing, you might have to put an asterisk by, but the moon thing, I don't know. That could happen. Could, well, it could. But so here's my, here's my, my rationale for those. I know Roger Staubach personally, so that's close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am the first person in the history of, skydiving to ever jump during a launch of the space shuttle. And I 
was on the cover of USA Today with three of my friends jumping with the space shuttle. So uh, those are my two rationales for the things I didn't 100% achieve, but I'm going to give them a, a 10% achievement. <laughs> so I actually have accomplished everything on my list I gave to Mr. Goddard when I was in, you know, so, so very, very young. Well, then I'm going to, I didn't I, have that list, but I am going to take credit that I got the chance to have breakfast and then introduce as the master of ceremonies at a large conference and then live on stage interview Gene Cernan, who was the last man wow. to ever walk on the moon about a year, maybe yeah. a year and a half before he died, I got to interview him. And so wow. that was, uh, that was my chance for my, my time on the moon. Well, your button just got a lot bigger than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's fascinating. That's I think that's fascinating though, that you, you started in ninth grade looking towards what are all the things I want to do? Because I don't think a lot of us get that. And I don't think a lot of us had a list like that per se. And yet, you know, in the last eight or 10 years, since I've been a solopreneur and working for myself and trying to sort of reinvent my life, I've done similar type stuff. I've looked at what is it that I want to do? How is it that I want to do it? So I do think there's some some value in in knowing what you want to go for. But I love the fact that Early on, you just knew that, that you wanted it all. I mean, I think that that's the, the biggest lesson that we get so far out of this, this show. And we're only three questions in. So, Douglas, since you've always been this kind of wild entrepreneur, what do you love about the life that you lead? Because obviously you don't look over and go, wow, I should have been an accountant. <laughs> not to no, dis not to dis accountants, by the way. I am not. I'm I have some great for the accountants I have in my life. <laughs> I was going to say there are some great accountants out there, but I don't. Yeah. Doesn't strike me that you want to be an auditor. No, I do not, and and uh, I. But I'm grateful for those accountants in my life. <laughs> uh, I think the thing that, that I love the most is that uh, there's just there's never a dull moment. There are frustrating moments. There are painful moments. There are. Oh my God, why did I do, how did I do that? You know, how did I find myself right here? But there is never a dull moment. So that, you know, that, uh, what is that saying by Confucius? Maybe within interesting times. Uh, my life is always interesting. And I love that. <laughs> so if somebody's listening to this and, and they want to have it all, they want to get out of their rut, get out of the box, climb out of, out of you know, whatever it is that's trapping them from having it all. What advice do you have for people who, who want to carve their own path or, you know, in the world? The first piece of advice is, is what I would say, pick up a piece of paper. Don't do this on a computer. Pick up a piece of paper and go through the act of physically writing down what your goals are and what, what kind of things that you, you think you might want to do or that you could do or things, even if it's just as, as uh, high level as things that excite you and look at that paper list and look at it every day. And eventually it will naturally parse itself and evolution will help you find those two or three things that are in there that, that makes sense and go for one of them. The biggest thing that I find with people that are challenged in achieving goals is they're afraid to start. And they're definitely afraid to finish. And that is a scary part. You know, we, uh, I, I, we actually didn't discuss this. I just, I just completed my 29th book. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the first book I ever wrote was the hardest book I ever wrote because I didn't know how to start and nobody could tell me. Um, I was 18 years old and I wrote a book about the history of Native American archer, uh, archery. <laughs> and um, I didn't know how to finish. And <laughs> so that book sat for two years with all the middle stuff done. And, and, but I, I knew I wanted to do the book 
And so I learned how, you know, eventually I learned how to start and, and I learned how to finish. And I have found that even in writing this many books, that's the hardest thing is starting and finishing. And I think that is a general rule for anyone who is stepping into something new or different is you're afraid to start. You might be a fear, fearful of failure. You might be fearful of embarrassment. You might be fearful of the process. Uh, you know, you could be afraid of a hundred things. But, and I'll use the analogy of a skydive. Everyone is terrified of going to the door. I don't care if you've got 10,000 skydives. You're afraid of going out that door. It's a natural built-in fear. But once you're in the air, once your knees are in the breeze, you know, everything's mm-hmm. great. And then it comes time to pull that parachute. And the next fear comes of, you know, hitting the ground. Am I going to hit the ground just right? Or am I going to hit the ground a little hard? Or, you know, am I going to be too high when I think I'm going to land and fall down? Uh, there's a lot of variables. So the book ends. That's the hard part. Well, and it's interesting because I spend a lot of time working with companies and my new my new keynote for the conferences I speak at is called The Paradox of Potential. And I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show and just in the course of my life, I get to meet a lot of really interesting people. And one of the questions I've taken to asking everybody is, you've had a lot of success, you know, Douglas, and although, you know, early on, there was no, like, guarantee you were going to have success – Everybody has potential, but some people are able to get across that gap between potential and results, and they get closer to the results they desire than some other people do. So how do Mm -hmm. successful entrepreneurs navigate that gap between potential and results? Because obviously, fear is one of the biggest things holding them back, but but so what? How do they get across? So once they get past the fear, what else do they have to do? Isn't that really it, get past the fear? (laughs) Um, Look, if, if you can see it, if you can imagine it, then the result is right there. All you have to do is reach for it and it's yours. But man, it's taking that step across the gap, as you call it. That's terrifying. It's always terrifying and it doesn't matter what it is. So how do you get from potential to, you know, to, to the result? I think it it literally is simple, but it's frighteningly simple. I guess would would be how I'd describe it. You know, and even then when it's done, I mean, look, when you started out doing whatever you're doing, you started out this, this podcast, you know, for example, when your very first podcast, it was probably, Oh my gosh, you know, people really want to listen to what I have to say. Well, <laughs> does, does anyone, does anybody want to pay attention to my words? Cause you know, I'm just talking or who am I, even though you might have a following of a billion people, it, it doesn't matter there. At least for me, maybe you're different, but at least for me, my self-confidence is very high until I have to ask those very difficult <laughs> questions of, man, is anyone going to like what I'm doing here? Is this, does this have any value? And for me, the answer a few years ago became, I, I, I just, excuse my French. I just don't give a damn. I just don't. I'm doing this for me. And if I do it for me, then the result is for me. And if it happens to benefit other people, you know, of course it frequently does. It almost always does. That gets me from potential to the result. Mm-hmm. No, that's, and, and you know what? The simple answers are often the most powerful. So this actually is a great transition into the sponsor of the show because you brought up this podcast and this is episode 321. And so you're right. When I did the first one, not only was I scared nobody wanted to listen to it, I was afraid I was going to be a lame-o and that people were going to think my interviews were stupid. And fortunately, it's turned out the opposite of that. People like the show. It's growing. Inc. Uh, Magazine or Inc.com just had an article about the eight podcasts for entrepreneurs to listen to in 2018. And I was very shocked and humbled and happy to find cool things entrepreneurs do on that list. And if you went back and listened to the first shows, 
they're not going to be as in-depth of interviews as I'm doing with people like you, Douglas. Now I've, I've learned through doing. And so people ask me all the time, well, how did you get the podcast to have so many listeners and have to, have, you know, how'd you get to be good at it? I just did it. And you're right. I did it for me. And that's what, what, what brought us there. So I've actually got more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Douglas Spotted Eagle. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do because I get the emails from you, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And I say it every time, or at least many of the times, they're the best vendor I've ever worked with in any aspect of my, of my business. They come through every time there's a question, they just fix it. They're fantastic. So jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. And also if you call them, tell them I sent you. So Douglas, I love to ask people who come on this show because I call it cool things entrepreneurs do. I love to ask them, what are you doing right now with your life and your business that's cool? Uh, I'm looking for the, wow, what am I, uh, first of all, <laughs> you should just go into radio. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, while they, I think about the question you just asked. If they would call, if they would call, I'd go, you know, I mean, they don't call. Well, you definitely have the voice and the spirit. <laughs> but what am I doing that's cool right now? I'm doing a few things that are really cool right now. Um, one of the things I'm doing is I'm helping uh, enterprise uh, get into understanding how ro aerial robotics or drones or UAS, UAV, um, can benefit their business and do it in a way that they, they are no longer fearful. So they can grow, you know, they can grow their business. They can grow uh, their safety practices in their business. They can gain consistent results. Uh, I'm, it's such a new way and such a, a new piece. I'll give you a great example, uh, if I can do this briefly. So uh, I work with the, the Nevada Highway Patrol, and the Nevada Highway Patrol was one of the first highway patrol organizations in the, the country to adopt aerial robotics. And uh, last year, they had a, a motorcyclist that was uh, found dead in the middle of a, a field, basically. And the question was, how did he get there? And it's kind of like that proverbial joke. And you know, you've got this guy laying in the middle of the field and he, he, there's a motorcycle that's 35 feet away and there's his body over here and there's this and that, but there's nothing that indicates where he went. Well, all of a sudden when we threw the aircraft up in the air, you could see things, you could see patterns in the soil and patterns in, in the gravel hmm. that demonstrated that 300 feet, you know, hundred yards before he ever came to this turn, he had somewhat lost control of his motorcycle. There is no way that a human being or a, a, a laser or light, what's called a LIDAR system could have detected that information on the ground. And so instead of having to say to the family of the deceased, you know, hey, we have no idea what happened. He's just out in the middle of this place. We were able to give some closure to that family by saying, you know, well, here, look, here's how this all worked out. And here's where he went off the road, and here's where he tried to correct, and he was doing you know, 62.7 miles per hour, and when he when he went off the edge of this this embankment, and that's how his his motorcycle and himself his you know himself landed so very far away from the road. Hmm. So that kind of using this technology to uh, 
you know, I think everybody has that question of why. In this case, we will answer to the deceased family with the why instead of them not knowing. Hmm. That's just one example of the bigger things that are bigger picture. Well, and I would imagine, you know, especially because, you know, when you know that what you do can impact someone's life, I mean, the family of someone being able to tell them what happened, that that's a real thing. I mean, it doesn't get you any money, but that's a real thing knowing that you did that. There must be some level of, of satisfaction knowing that the technology you use can impact real people in such ways. Isn't that, isn't that what drives most of us? I, mean, I think that for me, the true definition of an entrepreneur isn't, well, you know, how can I go out and make more money and, and be successful for myself, but rather, how do I contribute to the, to the whole? How do I contribute to society and make something that, that will benefit me, but also benefit other people? Of course, we want revenue. Of course, we want you know, money to come in. But you're right. You know, being able to show that to somebody, uh, it, it's, it is. It's very self-gratifying to be able to provide an explanation. It's, it's more than that. I mean, a, a, another brief example is when we were first testing some of these new aerial robotics, um, we were flying a construction site and we were comparing the pictures that the aircraft was capturing to the blueprint and discovered that, hey, you know, when they, when they installed some of the plumbing, uh, they, they put a pipe in about six inches off of where it should have been and didn't line up with the, with the blueprint. And so by being able to say, well, you know, here's an error right here, we saved them tens of thousands of dollars because if they'd had to go in and jackhammer these pipes out after the walls and the roof were on, it would have been very expensive. So again, you know, get that self-satisfied result of, hey, I fixed that for them before they ever knew it was a problem. And you just feel great. It feeds your ego. And, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you'd better have a healthy ego. You can't be an entrepreneur without one. Yeah, well, you need to have the big ego and the big resiliency for when things go, you know, kaboom on you. Hey, yes, I ask ask everyone who comes on this show who it is out in the world of other entrepreneurs. I mean, we could talk about Douglas Spotted Eagle all day long, but I love it when entrepreneurs tell me who they admire, who they see, where they think they're doing something cool. So who is it out there that you think, wow, I like what they're doing? Do I have to pick one? You can do two. (laughs) um well you know richard branson is a a little bit of a a hero to me Mm -hmm. um i think that his work ethic is amazing uh so i i would pick him as probably one of my my uh lead he provides you know he's got that private island that he lets people go to when they've done well as employees it's kind of a reward for being good at their job um, he's, he's, he's branching out into space. You know, Richard Branson is developing a mining program to go out and mine asteroids. Mm. And he, he's got, you know, hundreds of people that are engaged in, in the idea of dropping spacecraft onto a mine or excuse me, onto an asteroid and mining the rock and then bringing it back to the States. That's crazy. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's like, wow. I, and I know this because, uh, the son of one of my friends in the robotics world is actually working for, for Virgin. Uh, and he's one of the people designing the spacecraft that are going to land on these asteroids and, and mine the rock. That's science fiction so, in our yeah. lifetime. That'll get you to the moon. <laughs> You're going to the moon, Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would sure like to. You know, my, uh, I, I always had that dream of doing it. Remember they told us when we were kids that we'd be able to get on the on space shuttles like the Columbia and whatnot and trans, transit to the moon? That's right. Well, that and flying cars. I still haven't got my flying car. Yeah. Yeah, they, well, I can help you with that, kind of. That's right. The drones, have, are, the drones are coming in as flying cars, I think. That's right. Yeah. So if I can pick two, I guess. Um, I, 
man, it's just such a huge list of, of people that are out there uh, that I would choose. Robert Redford is probably another uh, big one in my world. And people don't think of him when they mm-hmm. think of entrepreneur. That's the first time that's he's been me. mentioned on the show. Richard Branson has been mentioned before, but that's the first time Robert Redford. So why is that? Well, you know, Bob is, he's, he's always got his eye on doing something for the greater good. So he sets up these, these programs that allow people to, to work and it makes him, it makes him money, but he's, you know, most of it gets plowed back into uh, operations and charitable of the organization. But so then you stop and say, well, what, what, what has he done as an entrepreneur that's really changed the world or changed his world or changed you know, something for somebody? He created the Sundance Film Festival. He created the entire Sundance Empire, which is much bigger than people probably realize that sure they have clothing for rich people that you can buy online and they have, you know, foods like Blue Apron and that kind of thing. But he also has Sundance programs that bring young people in to make films. And, you know, an afternoon with Robert Redford and, and that kind of a thing. Um, and so I look at his love for making money, but I also look at his love for supporting society. Mm-hmm. He's probably one of the most selfless people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. He's uh, enough said. Nice. That's, that's awesome. So the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think entrepreneurs, as you said earlier, want to do more than make money. I think that I think they want to, to, to leave a mark somehow, and, and it doesn't have to be money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's support. Sometimes it's the stuff like you talked about before about you know working with technology that helps people. So where is it that you fit in to serving others? Uh, well, a couple of different ways. I'm, I'm actively involved with the Boy Scouts of America. Awesome and, organization. Uh, my dad was an Eagle Scout. As am I, with my palms and you know, wood badge and the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love scouting. and But there's an awful lot of young people that don't even have the opportunities that scouts have. And so uh, opportunities are frequent in the various travels that I have where I can go to a school and uh, give a lecture. And because of my different background, I can go into a school and I can talk to music students. Uh, you know, a great example is going into NOCA, which is in New Orleans. It's a, a school of the arts for uh, mostly underprivileged kids. I can go in there and I can talk about being a musician or I can talk about being a filmmaker. And they kind of don't care about drones mm-hmm. and they kind of don't care about aviation. Or I can, you know, I, I'll go to a, a school in Florida where they're very near Cape Canaveral. Man, they want to know everything about drones. And so I can talk to them about that. And so I'm, I'm so blessed that at some level I have, you know, some some very variegated background that lets me talk to a group of people. I did a a presentation a couple of weeks ago to young people about writing. And, you know, my books range everywhere from technology where we're talking about, um, uh, you know, video editing and and video cameras and production and broadcasting, books on skydiving. And and then I have a a book that is way out in left field. It is about uh, the tragedy of, of teen suicide within the Intermountain region of the United States. And so they, there's this, huge uh, umbrella, I guess. There's, it's just a very broad scope of things I get to talk about. And they all address my... Uh, I address all those things with equal passion because they're all equally important to me. Hmm. So I, can sh- I get to share that with these kids. And hopefully, this ADHD uh, fire, this passion that, that I have, is at least a little bit contagious because that was what bit me when I was with John Goddard and the National Geographic piece of parchment that I got when I was in school was he had this arrogant passion that, you know, it drove me. And I think that's what's kept me 
in this frame of mind for the last, you know, 50 plus years. That's, I mean, I wish somebody had driven me when I was, you know, at that age to, to take it. I have it now, and I'm taking advantage of it. And one of the things I swore when I turned 50 years old was I was going to make 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I'm a year and a yeah. half into it. I'm a year and a half into it, and I'm living up to that. And every now and then— someone, I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> every now and then someone will say to me, they'll say, what about 75 to 100? I'm like, let me cross that bridge when I get to it. That's still, you know, I still got a long way to go. My, my dad lived to be 99, so I'm not selling myself short at 75. I'm like, let's just get through this next stage. And my daughter said to me, she's 21, she's like, wait a minute, what about 30 to 50? And I said, I was raising you and that was hard. That, you know, that wasn't about me. That was about you. So, you know, now uh, I've really made this commitment to uh, uh, I've had my National Geographic moment, if you will. And I'm really, you know, working to make sure that I don't leave anything uh, on the sidelines for the next now 23 years. So nice, nice. Well, I do believe, Tom, that everyone goes through it. And they, they used to call it a middle age crisis. If you know, I've never really quite had that. But I think that if you want to call it a middle age crisis, that's unfortunate. I, but it's your middle age opportunity. It's your middle middle age awakening. And that's man, right. sure, get to seventy five. Reevaluate on the night before your seventy fifth birthday about what uh, you know what the next few years are, are, are like. I, I had the pleasure of taking astronaut, or excuse me, senator, also astronaut Jake Garn, on his very first skydive at the age of ninety four. Hmm. So <laughs> you know he, he made his seventy five to one hundred. Amazing. Yep, absolutely. And I think I think it can be done. My my dad lived to be ninety nine and up until ninety four he was living on his own. He had five girlfriends. He bowled and golfed and swam in the pool and, you know, uh, played bridge and went dancing and went to the racetrack. And uh, so all I know is that up until almost the very end, you can you can keep going. And, and he kept going for a few years. We did move him at 94. We figured it was time that, uh, you know, we had him near one of us. My, he near, moved near my brother. Uh, but he still had another three or four years of being pretty active. The last couple of years, not as great. But, but you know, he made it, he made it well over 95 before he started slowing down. So I... I think it can be done, but I'm just taking it one chunk at a time here. Hey, Douglas, if somebody listened to this show and they're like, I, I got to know more about this guy. I want to find out about his books or his music or, or some aspect of your tapestry that you've weaved together. How do they find you? Uh, the easiest way to find me is DSE at SundanceMediaGroup.com. So that would be so, DSE uh, for Douglas Spotted Eagle, I assume? Yes. At Sundance Media at, Group. Dot com, all one word. Perfect. And, you know, unfortunately, there's no collective of, of all my works except for Amazon. Amazon's <laughs> got everything. Well, there got you the go. Books, the music, you know, that kind of thing. Amazon's taken uh, over the world, but they can find all your books and music and everything else there. So that's awesome. Hey, yeah. Douglas, thank you for taking the time to share your story here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I really appreciate that. Tom, it's been an amazing pleasure. I enjoyed you very much at our first meeting. I enjoyed you even more at our second meeting. And and, uh, this podcast has certainly been a delight. Excellent. And hey, thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So keep tuning in. We've done 321 episodes and we're not stopping there. We're going to be back in a couple of days. We're going to keep interviewing cool people like Douglas Spotted Eagle. I I, I know that seems difficult. (laughs) 
But in the meantime, if you like the show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. That makes my whole day better when I know somebody is listening and, and taking that time over to go and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter at Cool Podcast. There is a Facebook page uh, for cool things entrepreneurs do. If you want to get involved with the Potential Mastermind Project, which is my group coaching program, you can find that at PotentialMastermind.com. And I love getting emails. Tom at TomSinger.com. Don't forget the H in Tom at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M at T-H-O-M Singer.com. And uh, as I said, we'll be back in a couple of days. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.